everyone, welcome back to Morgan Hasn't Seen Janine. We have celebrated 150 episodes of Morgan Hasn't Seen. Now this is episode 151, we're miles off the next milestone. Woohoo! We no longer have to worry about trying to come up with something <laughs> fun. But yes we do! We have plenty of time. Really episode 200 of the main show. So we still have to concern ourselves with coming up with fun things to do for milestone episodes. But that is beside the point of what we are talking about today. Because we're back on Morgan Hasn't Seen. We're back, Janine, with a romantic double feature. This is actually the week where Valentine's Day fell. This is the closest episode to actual Valentine's Day, even though Valentine's Day was actually on Monday and obviously was not celebrated by me. Yay. <laughs> Isn't it fun? I'm here watching all these romance movies, Janine, all throughout February with absolutely nobody. And it... Sorry, I'm getting very depressing now. Anyway. Anyway, Janine. Romantic it's less stress. It's less stress. <laughs> less stress. Romantic double Enjoy features. being a, a eligible bachelor. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're not going to get into that because we, we literally <laughs> may be here all day, which we certainly don't want and nobody wants to hear any of that nonsense, Janine. No, they don't. Yes, you're Romantic. just being self-deprecating and me telling you how wonderful you are and <laughs> never agreeing on it. Well, I don't. Yes, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yes, sounds... that would go on for quite a long time, I, I, I foresee. So let's continue. <laughs> Romantic double features, Janine. We are, in fact, talking this week probably about, I would say, the more heavy side of romance movies. Certainly probably the, the the episode this month that deals with the most heavy topics yeah you know in relation to the the rest of the double features that we are covering what is it that we are basing this week's episode around we are talking romance and mental health so a little a little out there for a premise but um definitely something of value to talk about that's kind of been depicted more um i think in more realistic and honest ways in films yeah. uh typically kind of when you think about movies and mental illness it's like always um a crazy person or a serial killer or you know there's lots of negative kind of cinematic connections to mental health and mental illness um so i kind of wanted to show movies that kind of show real aspects of that and show real people dealing with that. And, yeah. um, you know, combining that with the uh, ideas of romance and love and, you know, that concept I thought, you know, was a kind of a really nice positive outlook on, on something like that. So I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have. Oh, it certainly ends up being a positive outlook. I don't think there's any doubt about that with with both of these movies that we have coming up today and i'm sure our discussion in general we, we certainly are not going to be two people janine that come on here and goes look at these weirdos doing weird things aren't they weird go oh, away no, definitely weird definitely people. some <laughs> definitely some offense. relatable yes definitely some relatable re relatable elements with these characters in these movies so yeah um yeah i'm I, excited to discuss i appreciated both of them and you know, one of the two is slightly more or slightly less 
naturalistic, I would say, than the other one. But even that one is, maybe it's just a little bit more unusual than the probably more well-known movie that we are talking about. And I, know, and I know I'm being vague and not, you know, announcing the titles of the movies that we're discussing, but they're in the title of the episode yes, anyway. Exactly. So <laughs> you kind of probably you understand. already know what you're here for. <laughs> yes. What what you're here for, what I'm getting at and all and all that business. What was I saying anyway? Naturalism. Naturalism. I appreciated about both of these movies that they that they did feel very naturalistic very realistic very non-fantastical and by fantastical i don't mean it, you know it had to be full of elves and magic i just yeah. mean in the sense that nothing was heightened everything was very true to life in both of these movies which is more unusual in lars and the real girl given the fact that lars and the real girl is essentially about somebody having a full relationship with a plastic doll he bought from the internet. Yeah. But certainly in Silver Linings Playbook, that is very, very... I mean, it's Oscar winning, isn't it? Did it win a screenplay Oscar? I think so. Um, that's obviously a little bit more of a well-known movie, I, I would probably say, than Lars and the Real Yeah, it Girl. got acting nominations and yeah. things like that as well, so... Um, yeah, I think it definitely these both of these movies speak to um, not villainizing people with mental illnesses, not to not, all. you know, ignore mental illness, to have patience with people who are going through these things and and um, trying to understand them. Yeah, um, that, and that so, that you know that's the main point to me of both of these movies. It's an understanding, you know, between the individual or individuals dealing with what they're dealing with in the movie and everybody else yeah. who either isn't or we don't see that they are in the movie, you know, because the movie's not necessarily focused directly on them. It is, it is an understanding. It is a realization that some aspects of what, you know, particularly Bradley Cooper in, in Silver Linings Playbook goes through is damaging, is very, you know, dangerous potentially to other people because of yeah. how his, you know, switch can get flipped, as it were. But it's not vilifying that, you know, yeah. it, it's it's understanding why that is the case. And, you know, what I, what I really appreciated about his character in, in Silver Linings Playbook and Silver Linings Playbook's attitude towards him is that he as a character is always wanting to get better in himself. You know, he's not in denial about the fact that there's something wrong with him. He's got his own ideas of how he can improve, but he wants to improve himself. Yeah. There's no denying about that. There's no kind of, no, I've not got anything wrong with me. No, really, you are a serial killer, Mr. Serial Killer. You know, it's not like that. No, I'm perfectly healthy. No, you've murdered several thousand people or something. Yeah, no, he's fully aware of, you know, where he's at mentally and what he needs to do to to improve himself. He's kind of maybe not doing it for the right reasons. Yes. Um, But he is fully accepting what's going on with him and taking responsibility for what he's done. Um. <clears throat> you know there are moments where he does try to justify that 
Um, but he kind of slowly like learns, but he's never in denial of, of what's going no. on with him and what he needs to do. Um, and does have like a solid drive to want to improve, but the reasonings yes. are kind of what, what kind of halts his, uh, kind of progression and his journey. Exactly. And, and that's what I mean by when I say it's very naturalistic because it doesn't feel too easy. Yeah. You know, none of these movies feel too easy. They all feel incredibly well. Like some real out. work has to be done. Yeah. Yeah. They, they feel very deep. Yes. Uh, in terms of the emotions, but in terms of the humanity within them, nothing is solved quickly. And the community that has to kind of rally together to help you get yes. through these things. You can't really, and like as, as the solid message is you can't really do these things on your own. So Yes, as, as, as stubborn as people may be in thinking they are, a la Bradley Cooper in Silver Linings Playbook, who very much is on his own kind of, I know what I'm doing, I'll help myself, don't worry, I've, I've got my plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When he realizes that, yes, a bit of his plan is fine, but he needs the other bit as well that has to come from an outside source you know it, and again i mean we're, we're getting really into the movie here <laughs> I know. we do actually have something to do before we get speaking into the movies don't we janine we do we actually have to say a huge thank you to our it's a wonderful podcast patrons every week on one of the shows we shout out our lovely patrons for their awesome support of us and our patreon so um, yeah, we love to do yes. that. We love to thank you guys for everything you do for us. We certainly do. If you would like to join the Patreon, just do that. You know, go to patreon.com slash it's a wonderful one or just type it's a wonderful podcast into Patreon. Find the tier that's right for you. We have started 2022 with a revamp of the tiers on the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon. So check them out. Click on one of them. Support yeah. us in that way if you can, if you would like to. We would be dearly grateful. Much like Janine, we are dearly grateful and say a big thank you to Adam Witt. And a thank you to Michael Smith. Thank you to Maxwell Haddad. Thank you, Amber Coates. Thank you, Abby Freel. Thank you, Ferris Muthana. Thank you to Janine's brother, Justin 90s Comics Box. Thank you, Video Drew. Thank you to Adelaide. Thank you, Tina Farrow. Thank you, Marcus Burton. Thank you to Movie Finobi Steve. Thank you to Samia Tezfai. Thank you, Patrick Harden. Thank you to John Mariano. Thank you, Carla Fis. Thank you, Delisha Butler. Thank you, Gigi. Thank you to the great Ken Knapsack. Thank you, Tom and Kimber of Odd Shape Channel. And thank you, of course, to Billy Pollahan. Yes, patrons, wonderful people, Janine. What I haven't asked you, and I usually like to ask you at the beginning of episodes of Morgan Hasn't Seen Janine, is why did you pick these two movies for this week? Um, these are two movies I really enjoy. Uh, Lars and the Real Girl really kind of surprised me. I wasn't sure what to expect from that. Um, and like that movie made me super emotional uh, just because of how this community kind of rallies together to, to help one kind person. Yeah. Um, it, it's really sweet because, you know, this could be a really crazy situation it uh, could to be. deal it could, with. 
you know, we could I, at a certain moments, you know, you can see yourself being like Lars's brother, Gus, and just yeah. being like, we need to just tell him he's he's a crazy person, and and this is a hunk of plastic, and what the hell is he doing? Um, but it the could fact also, they- you know, be played very, very almost cruelly. Yes, you know, in a sense that it could be a farcical comedy movie if it wanted to be but it has more respect for its characters and it has probably more respect for its subject matter being in that you know a a person like Lars in Lars and the Real Girl who is in a full-blown delusional they call it you know in the movie Mm -hmm. relationship with a plastic dolly bought off the internet could be very, very easily made into a pretty, you know, nasty comedy movie. And by nasty, I mean, you know, throwing a load of cruel jokes out there, which probably would be funny given the right context and everything, you know, and the right kind of attitude towards it. And rather impressively, the movie's not funny in the slightest. Or I don't think it is. Anyway, I mean it. It it does have comedy as one of its labels. So I, there are things that I think are supposed to to be a little kind of you know silly and and um, I get it being out there comedic in 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 a quirky way. But I don't think it's an inherent comedy. You're not really no. supposed to laugh at Lars um, and what he's going through. Um, no, that that's what I mean. You know, they could have very easily made that story. Made but that, I think the scenes were that. like where like uh, his sister-in-law tackles him to the ground to get him to come to dinner true <laughs> and how she kind of won't leave him alone in many aspects i think those things are just supposed to get you to laugh you know when lars is doing cpr on uh his co-worker's teddy bear and, and little moments okay. like that you know okay lars bowling that. and throwing the ball three <laughs> three lanes down you know yeah Quirky, quirky, cute comedy in in certain aspects, but definitely not to make fun of, of, you know, Lars and his delusion and what he's kind of dealing with. Um, So, yeah, definitely a movie I wanted you to see to kind of because I think we could have we could have a really great conversation about that's why I chose Lars and the Real Girl. It was something that kind of hit me emotionally, just how the mental illness was handled and kind of a whole kind of group of people coming together to support him Um, i thought that was a really great beautiful message and so yeah i wanted you to see that and same with silver linings playbook sorry (laughs) i was just going to say well why don't we just start off the episode and the full conversation talking about lars and the real girl and then when we come on to talk about silver linings playbook i will ask you that same question why did you choose this one specifically okay so lars and the real girl We've already talked about what it's about. It is essentially about that. There's nothing overly, you know, too intricate in the plot of Lars and the Real Girl that isn't told by the sentence, a man is in a relationship with a plastic doll he buys off the internet and his friends and the town and the community support him in this in order to get him through something. That he needs to work Yeah, Lars is very kind of isolated and awkward. He's living in a kind of converted garage on the property of uh, his family home, his brother Gus, and um, 
Gus's wife and her name is Karen. They yeah. live in the house. Um, and uh, they're constantly trying to get him to come over and have dinner. And, and Karen is very kind of adamant. She just doesn't like uh, Lars being left alone and, and being by himself. And she's worried about him, but he's very awkward. You know, he kind of has a thing where he doesn't like people to touch him. He's, yeah. um, but he's very kind hearted. He's always kind of helpful, but he's completely awkward. Um, very soft spoken. Yes. Very genuine, pleasant person with this i mean it's kind of it's never really stated what his sort of mental state is in yeah the movie, is it it's kind of not that we need a definitive answer, a name on it yeah not that we need a name on it by all means he can just be an awkward person a a lonely person but we also kind of fear of of loss of of loss but whether it's a kind of deep fear of whether it's socializing whether it's people whether it's not communication but almost a fear of community in itself because he really has to kind of bring himself and create scenarios for himself, which, of course, the entire movie is based on a created scenario in Lars's own head. In order for him to become more open with other people. Yes. So I think, you know, things stemming from um, his childhood have just been suppressed. And yeah. it's built into kind of a disorder where he just... Um, closes himself off from people. So we kind of learn that uh, Gus and Lars's mother died giving birth to Lars. So that had made their father incredibly just a sad person who kind of had to raise two children, not really knowing what to do while also dealing with the depression of losing his wife. Um, So kind of probably resenting Lars in that cruel, but understandable way that he's the one who took away the love of his life. So, you know, as soon as Gus, you know, Gus couldn't deal with his father just being so depressed all the time. So as soon as Gus was old enough to leave home, he left and just left Lars there with this depressed man who could not really function properly. So that is the upbringing that Lars had. The knowledge of, you know, him, you know, inadvertently causing his mother's death while also kind of being stuck with a man who sees him as a reminder of that. Yeah. So obviously that's going to turn him into an isolated person who doesn't really know how to love, but wants to kind of figure that out, but just never got the skills to kind of approach that. It's obviously a very big concept. You know, it's a very big issue. You you could ask the question, Janine, does anybody know how to love? Because surely love means different things to Everybody in their own little way. Yes. So, and but it's it's again that sort of stuff is what works for for Lars, isn't it? This is just me being a big picture watcher, yeah, yeah, rather than anything else. Yeah, and I think with Lars as well, what kind of really kind of makes him more even more isolated um, is the change that happens when uh, Gus and his wife 
you know get pregnant yeah so there's a baby on the way he's going to be an uncle and so even just that fear of karen losing the baby and the pregnancy and kind of putting that on himself about how he's the one who kind of killed his mother in childbirth he has this terrible fear that someone he loves karen his sister-in-law is going to lose her baby or she's going to die and so he kind of distanced himself from you know, getting too close to her because he's scared of losing her. So it's kind of yeah. this weird kind of push and pull effect of like, you know, you should spend more pe- time with people that you love, but your fear is kind of keeping you away from them and, and closing you off a little bit. The thing is, so. that's such a very understandable idea yeah. as well, isn't it? It's it's quite a hard one when you realize what it is. Yeah. Because like you've just said, Surely you'd want to spend more time with people you are afraid to lose. You might lose, yeah. But sometimes, you know, in people's brains, and I'm sure we've dealt with it on some level. I'm sure people listening have dealt with this kind of thing on some level. You push people away who you actually like more. Yeah. <laughs> because and I you think... don't want to lose them. So you almost want to lose them on your terms. Exactly. And that's where kind of the doll comes into play. Yeah. Um, because that's exactly what he does with her. He loses her on his terms. But also Karen, you know, being around her is a reminder of what he did to his own mother. Yeah. Um. So he kind of distanced himself. And Karen, I just love that she's just so persistent to the point where she's tackling Lars in the driveway to come have dinner with them. Um. You know, she's out in the cold and he's like worried for her because he's, you know, put this blanket around you. Like it's too cold out here. Trying to invite him to come to breakfast and, you know, she she's doing everything she can because she's like, we miss you, Lars. We want to spend time with you. And then, you know, we all get this awkward dynamic with Lars and his brother Gus because obviously, you know, Gus left him. And so he doesn't know how to relate to him. He doesn't kind of understand what's going on with Lars. So he's kind of the last person when kind of the community ends up rallying together for him to to really just see the bigger picture of what is happening. He kind of is like, the one who's really adamant about my brother's crazy what's going on we just need to yeah. fix this like the one who's kind of just not really willing to understand but then he ultimately kind of goes through that journey of really seeing the part he played in all of that yeah and even you know the doctor Lars's therapist Lars's doctor she play wants to play along she, yeah. she completely realizes that the best way forward is to go along with it because that you know going along with whatever story Lars is creating in his own head with it whatever scenario it's got an end to it yeah we just have to see it out we have to see where where he's going with this what he's trying to work through with this situation um because he's not ultimately he's not hurting a soul no he's trying to work through something so you know he's going to work there's a new girl at the office named marco who seems interested in him he's very awkward so obviously he likes her he's kind of always like peeking on her or when but when she talks to him he like runs away um when he sees her talking to another guy in the office he does get jealous so there are moments where you know you see him wanting more but he just doesn't know how to kind of process that information and it's and it and it the fear you can tell it's like a fear of he does he wouldn't be able to control that situation and exactly. so i think that's why he manifests it with the doll exactly it's it's a strange level of or it's a strange form of you know being a controlling person because i suppose we often feel like when we when we when we hear 
you are a controlling person. We think of quite angry people, quite confrontational people, quite do this, do that people. You know, I'm in charge and I will be in charge and you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm in control kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. This is on completely the opposite end of yeah, that. Yeah, this is a control spectrum. of like, you know, a, a a life kind of control. Yeah. Like an order. Like Doesn't I want need power. No. Just wants order. He just wants to kind of know what's going on and yeah. understand what's going on at all times. Because if anything kind of goes out of whack, he's not going to know how to handle that. Yeah, he'll um, just break down. Of, yes. as, we, as we see it happen. Yes. So, um, you know, uh, an, uh, somebody in the office offhand kind of brings up these these live dolls, these, you know, real dolls that you can buy that are anatomically correct. And Oh, yeah, because know. people are really weird, obviously. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, look, these these things exist in the real world, don't they? And then they exist for people, perhaps people like Lars that just need to work through things. But I question the people that aren't like Lars and that need to work through things that get these sort of things anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, these but, perfectly yes, they... <laughs> healthy, mentally healthy people that probably aren't Will actually perfectly yeah. mentally healthy people, <laughs> but in a slightly more damaging way that, that just get them because oh, I can't possibly think of something that's more attractive, a plastic doll that doesn't do anything. Yeah. Um, so, yes, he does. <laughs> he does get this doll, but not I'm for sorry. the reasons most people would get these dolls. <laughs> no, exactly. And this, you know what? I, I'm very but, close I mean, to that's going on kind a little of bit of a... Jump you. No, I, no. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm very close to going on a little bit of a... Uh, not a rant, because I don't like to think I rant, Janine, but it's been Valentine's Day this week. And, you know, you see posts about people and doing things on Valentine's Day. You just feel sometimes that people are in relationships with people who are they just domineer. You know what I mean? Who They just like who, this poor person who you might be in a relationship with has no say in what's going on. And they may be happy with that, but because they may, you know, I don't know your situation. It can be very dangerous, but it can also not be very dangerous. And this is where I feel like I need to not calm myself down, but stop myself before I say anything too <laughs> offensive to anybody. But what I mean is in the sense that some people in, in real life, Janine, are in relationships with real life plastic dolls. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Where, like, these people, these people don't have personalities. Do you know what I mean? These these people don't live. These people just kind of walk around and exist. Have a personality, people. Yeah. Maybe this is my issue with people getting into relationships with people with no personality. <laughs> because... Well, maybe that's why people also get these dolls, because they can make up the personality they want. Well, that's probably why, but it, it, for some reason it always comes across to me as... Because I've never understood it. So it's it, maybe, maybe, it's just, I, maybe it's just a case of I need to learn to understand how other people are, the, these certain people are and you know i i would be open enough to do that i'm perfectly happy to try and understand why you would want to go out or be with 
a legitimate living breathing human being who just seems like the most dull boring creature that's ever walked the earth <laughs> and i know that's offensive but uh, you know what i'm trying you know what i'm getting yeah. at yeah you know what i'm getting at real life plastic dolls where's the fun and i mean some people really like that don't they because maybe they're controlling i don't know but for me where's the fun in boring people <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> That might have really offended a lot of people, and I, I do yeah, apologize. That's, that's okay. But, um, yeah, so maybe, yes, that is why people, you know, find these dolls. Maybe that's another reason, because they can project whatever personality they want yeah. onto these, which is kind of what Lars does. So, you know, a, a co-worker mentions this doll to him in passing, and then we see a big box being delivered to his house, and um, then he, he has like demeanor completely changes you know when we see him he's he's awkward and and reserved and doesn't say much and and kind of avoids seeing Gus and Karen and then he's knocking on their door and he's yeah. asking where Karen is and he's leaning on the door very kind of charismatically and even when the box comes like the box is there and he's nervous. He's like, it's like he's getting ready for a date. He's trying on the sweater and saying, this is a really nice sweater. And he's combing his hair and he's brushing his teeth. So you're kind of, you know, maybe picking up a little bit what's happening here. That he's like nervous to kind of open this box and like meet his his girlfriend for the first time kind of situation. But how it's played is like a very odd thing. So yes, he he gets all dressed up and he goes Do you know what to... it feels like? I'm sorry. <laughs> feels like people who have like mail order brides but and like a bit of real people and but i just yes. question why that exists i, I, I despair I mean, when you get to the point where you're desperate and you can't find anybody and you feel like nobody will kind of love you for you yeah and i have to maybe go be on the level to where you're paying someone to love you if you're just that desperate for that um uh, God, and you want I a real person there in my own life <laughs> you i trust me you will not get there. uh that was a joke that i will joke. i will not let you get to that level i would also janine like to point out one of the more impressive things about this movie was that the fact that they made ryan gosling deeply deeply dorky looking Yes, like Ryan Gosling is a very attractive man. Like if you watch this movie and something like Crazy Stupid Love, you would not no, think that me. is the same person. No. Like it's like just the magic of simple like hair choice choice, facial hair choice, clothing choice and just his performance all kind of putting all that together. Yeah. Like and you're just like I'm not really you don't you don't this. even see Ryan Gosling. No, you don't. Um no, not at all. So, yeah, he gets all dressed up, he goes to Karen and Gus's and he, like the way his whole demeanor is, he's just very kind of excited, he's very relaxed. He's excited to see them, he's excited to talk to them. We've never seen him this upbeat for anything. And he says he has a visitor, this girl he met online. He's super excited, but they're both very religious, so can she stay at their house? 
um, so they're not, you know, sleeping in the same place so they can, you know, be respectful and all of this. So they're all excited. They get like the guest room ready. She's getting dinner ready. She's so excited. And then it immediately cuts to just their stunned faces. <laughs> and it pans to the couch where Lars is sitting next to his girlfriend, Bianca, this, uh, you know, sex doll <laughs> that he's ordered. And he's talking I, about her like she's a real person. This is my girlfriend, Bianca. She's a missionary from Brazil. She doesn't speak a lot of English. She's in a wheelchair. You know, she helps save lives. You know, she has nurses training. Like, him I appreciate this whole personality for her and then when you go when Gus goes to the website and these kind of slutty stories they make up for these dolls just oh kind God, of yeah. you know comparing that to this story that Lars makes up for Bianca is just kind of a funny thing so th- I think this is kind of where the comedy kind of plays into where just Gus and Karen's reaction to like all of this kind of happening yeah but I mean even even you know that scene speaks to the attitude of the rest of the movie doesn't it Gus might go on that site and see all the ridiculously over-the-top porno kind of stories that are brought up with these people. But how much respect Lars puts on Bianca, like I said, speaks to the attitude of the rest of the movie. It's very genuine. You know, Lars isn't in this for a quick fun time. No, he's trying to build and craft uh, a relationship with someone that he can kind of dictate so that he yeah. doesn't have to worry about losing anything. Yeah. And he can lose things on his own terms, not at, like at his own fault. You know, he can take it out of his, the fault out of his hands for once when it comes to losing somebody. Yeah. And so, obviously the, the majority of the movie is based on Lars and Bianca going from different kind of social situation and relationship situation yes all the while Lars is obviously creating it inside of his own head of course yeah and the doctor does explain that like Lars has been the one making the decisions all along with how this relationship is going yeah so you know Karen and and Gus I think handle it the best they can in that moment you know they're eating the dinner and Lars is like trying to eat off her plate to kind of make it look like she's eating you know he's speaking for her um he's like laughing with her about things and and kind of talking like she just said something and they are just so perplexed and Karen just plays it really smart she's like oh you know you guys have been traveling she's come from Brazil maybe we should go see the doctor and just get her a checkup so Karen kind of already has that instinctual kind of thought to maybe just play along with this a little bit. Whereas Gus is like, what the fuck is going on? So um, they do go see the doctor who like, she's like kind of the, like a family doctor along with like a, a psychologist. So she kind of can talk to them about what's going on. So she does kind of this like fake little checkup on Bianca. And while she's kind of chilling in the other room, she has this talk with them about kind of what's going on with 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 Lars you've really got to think how 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 many people you know would play along with something like this if it happened you know in your life to some degree say you knew somebody who who did something along the lines of this how many people you know how many doctors would welcome a plastic doll into a surgery, do a checkup on them purely to 
what is essentially playing along with a mentally ill person's delusion delusion yeah like that would be very difficult so i think a lot of us might react like gus like what is he doing with a delusion what's going on how do we fix it this is weird like i can't pretend like this lump of plastic is a real person and dagmar is like you need to just kind of play along this is something i don't think dagmar sounds like someone off game of thrones as well yeah. i'm pretty sure game of thrones actually did have someone called dag dagmar cleftjaw that's that's the, that's who i'm <laughs> wow, thinking of okay okay <laughs> yes doctor i think he's a i think he's um, a wildling dagmar cleftjaw <laughs> if i'm right <laughs> brilliant yes, sorry about brilliant that name, brilliant name um so yeah she kind of suggested them you have to kind of play along because you know and and Gus is asking how long is this going to last, and she's like, until he doesn't need it anymore. So he's yeah. kind of using this relationship as a crutch to deal with whatever he's going through. So they smartly kind of use this as, okay, we're going to bring Bianchi in for weekly checkups and weekly treatments. So while she's kind of in the other room getting her treatments, she sits in the office and talks to Lars kind of casually. Yeah, and then that gets him to kind of open up. So she does this kind of therapy sessions to analyze him under the guise of, you know, Bianca coming in for these treatments. So the way they handle it is just so smart and they take their time with it. And Lars reveals like how he just doesn't like to be touched, how it feels like so it's burning to him. And she works with him on that. So then we actually see moments later where she kind of puts her hand on him and he is more comfortable. Yeah. Um, it, it all boils down to respect, really, doesn't it? I mean, everybody's clearly got great respect for Lars because he's just a genuine, pleasant person. Yeah. With a good heart. But, like I said before, how many people would, would step say, up for that? Could on, yeah, could honestly th- say they, they would step up for that. Could honestly say they would have full respect for that entire situation and play along to the degree that everybody this whole town does so yeah they'd send out emails and they talk to everyone have conversations and let them know what's going on and they make that choice you know they sit with the church group and they're like so you know this is what we're going through this is what we're dealing with the doctor says we should just kind of play along to kind of see where this goes to kind of get to the root of what's really going on with him can you guys do this and while some people are a little bit judgmental um like an older woman who you know we saw lars helping earlier in the movie at church she's like i'm in like you you know all you people are judging well your nephew gave all his money to some weird ufo club and your last wife was a klepto and that's why she's buried in a pair of my earrings like and she calls all these other people on the weird kind of things that that they put up with yeah so why can't you do this for Lars? he's a nice boy he's never done anything to anyone i don't see the harm in this let's just try to support him through this let's just play along so I, I love that it kind of builds up to the community getting involved. And then I think they also kind of play along in a smart way where they kind of take Bianca to things like they yeah. have Bianca joining clubs and reading to kids at school so that Lars is spending less time with her and he is getting more socialized himself. Like they get, one- is it like they get Bianca a, a job as a mannequin in a, so <laughs> she's a model a yeah. model at the clothing store and like they have her reading books to kids so it's like an audio recorded recorded reading and she's holding the book and the kids are like yay <laughs> and um you know she's a part of all these other clubs and people pick her up and take her all around town and have her do these things they give her a makeover and cut her bangs 
um, probably the first kind of big moment of that is this receptionist we see, you know, Lars at work have a good rapport with. She invites him to uh, a party she's having at her house. Yeah. And Lars takes Bianca. And we see him hesitate at the doorbell for quite a bit. Like, he's really nervous. And then, like, he kind of turns, like, Bianca t- is telling him to ring it. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. And he rings the doorbell. And he's greeted so kindly. And she's like, oh, this must be Bianca. Bianca's like, you know, rubber arms are holding this bottle of wine. Oh, is this for me? <laughs> like, And she just like plays along. And then you hear someone whisper, I'm glad you sent out that, that email, you know, so we could be prepared for this. Because if I had no idea, I would be freaking out. And so everyone is just, you know, we get kind of these comments here and there. But like people are like, oh, Bianca, you know your hair would look really cute like this and and Lars would you be mad if she cut her hair he's like no she can do whatever she wants and he has this moment where he's kind of looking at her from across the party and he kind of in his head is seeing her like look back at him and they're sharing like this like kind of sweet like connection from across the room yeah like Um, a a typical romance movie kind of situation exactly like you're at a party with your new girlfriend showing her off to everybody um, I like it always kind of makes me tear up a little bit when like um uh her husband the receptionist husband is like dancing with Bianca in her wheelchair. Yeah, and everybody's dancing with her, and so Lars is just kind of you see him kind of happy, like dancing to himself and and becoming more social and um just the way this whole community steps up to play along with this whole thing to help Lars get through whatever he needs to get through. And he starts opening up to the doctor and and this is where he kind of opens up to her about how he's scared for Karen. And she's like, no, you know, things are different now, Lars. Like the chances of her losing the baby or dying or anything like that is very rare. And he's like, but it could still happen. And he freaks out. He has a whole panic attack over it. So we see where a lot of his stuff is coming from. He's asking her like, you know, what does it take to really be a man? Because no one ever really showed me that. And so that opens up the doctor telling him, well, you should have this conversation with Gus. And so he has a really honest conversation with his brother where Gus kind of realizes, you know, his part in all of this, where he says, you know, when you're a man, you don't cheat on your girl and you care about things in your life and you're doing things for the right reasons. And, um, you know, you kind of think about other people rather than yourself. And, and then he kind of admits, you know, I should not have left you alone with him. He was too sad. And, and I, I totally regret that. And I wish I could have been there for you. And I always regret that. And so they have a really great open conversation about their relationship. And I think that's what is where Gus's turning point comes to where he's not just like trying to smack Lars in the face with the truth, but he's yeah. realizing he's going through something. I was a part of this and I'm here to help him kind of work through that. So then it gets to the point where like Lars is actually like, dictating where now him and Bianca are fighting which it's like this funny kind of thing that happens where Karen is talking to these other women like they never fight like where is this coming from (laughs) and then it leads to Bianca being unconscious and and Bianca dying and Lars is making all these decisions he's getting to the point where he doesn't feel like he needs Bianca but it's all in his subconscious but it's all in his subconscious like he's realizing he can let her go He's 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 social. So we see him doing more social things. He's more kind of open with Margot, who he was really shy with. He has a nice yeah. little moment with her. Um, you know, we see moments of him getting jealous with her talking to other guys. That when she talks to him, he's really sweet to her. They have a cute little moment where another coworker like tied a noose around her teddy bear, and he's like, you know, yeah. doing CPR on it. It's so cute. And she kind of invites him to go bowling, and they have a great kind of bowling night. 
they run into um Gus's co-workers there and they have like a, a, a fun time and he's being really sociable and then like when him and, and Margot part for the night she takes his hand he let he reaches his hand out to her to shake her hand yeah. and bare hand to bare hand he like actually takes her hand and and so that's kind of this kind of turning point moment where he's kind of opening himself up and right after that is when things kind of start going downhill for him and Bianca where he's yeah. kind of making it where she's unconscious and where she's dying and where they're fighting and where things start kind of uh, escalating for the two of them. But he's making those decisions to, to end things with her, to make her kind of disappear so that he, cause he's kind of finally ready to, to uh, deal with his responsibility when it comes to loss and move forward with his life. Yeah. And not only deal with his, you know, responsibility when it comes to loss, but also deal with an actual, potentially romantic relationship with a genuine human being yes <laughs> which you know by the end of the movie we kind of do get the first inklings of that happening between him and Margot. yes which is, is lovely it's lovely it's, it's the sweetest natured movie you could possibly wish to watch yes like i always the strangest get really way possible yeah like I always get teary eyed watching it because it's just the way this community embraces him and, and, and sits with him and takes care of him and plays along with this whole crazy thing because they yeah. love him. Um, I love when Karen and him have that big fight. He's mad because he wanted to play Scrabble with Bianca that night, but she's going to some function since she's now kind of the hot thing of the town going around to all these events. And she's like a staple in the community. And he gets mad because he was supposed to spend the night with Bianca and he shouldn't have to check a calendar to spend time with his girlfriend. And that's like kind of the first big fight that him and Bianca have. And so Bianca leaves and goes to the, goes with um, um, one of the townspeople to this function. And he's outside yelling and, and being mad and talking about um, how nobody cares and how she could just leave him like that and nobody gives a crap and and Karen's like what do you mean we don't care do not ever tell us we do not care Lars you know we give her baths and we drive her around and yeah. we pick her up and we carry her and we change her clothes like and she's not a light girl Lars Bianca is a big girl <laughs> like I love how she talks about her and she like yells at him and says don't you ever tell us we do all of this because we love you we do all of this for you. So I think also him coming to that realization is also kind of where, where the turning point happens for him too. Yes. Do you know what I love m the most about that particular argument? Is the fact that not once does she say, she's not real, Lars. Yeah. Not once. Yeah. The entire movie is so centered around this Delusion. respect and... <laughs> But just this respect for him, for others, you know, yeah. respect for good people and patience, patience, patience with people who are going openness, through something. Yeah. The openness of the entire movie, you know, nothing's nothing's closed off, nothing's secretive, nothing's kind of everyone is respectful of other people's situations. Because warts and all, yeah. Because that's what they are. You know what I mean? That's what mm -hmm. they are. That's what they want. Not want to be necessarily. But, so I keep saying that's what they are. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> it's just genuine 
heart yes. and interpersonal respect and that's what i got most about this movie it is just that's what i mean when i say it's it's just the sweetest movie in the weirdest way yeah because that's, that's movie i can't me when i first saw it i can't remember necessarily seeing a movie that just felt so idyllic in terms of person to person relationships and by and that i mean a sense of just everybody seemingly wanting to just be good people to yeah, each other community and and just having patience for people with mental illness like he's going through something he needs to work through something instead of yelling at him that he's wrong and he's weird and he's a freak yeah. let's be patient with him and if we kind of under try to understand him and 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 figure out what he's trying to work through we are creating a solution rather than adding to kind of the issue that's going on here. Exactly. And, you know, it really did make me think about the real world, my own real life, you know, what is the real world and just whether that would be the case. Yeah. And, you know, sadly coming to the conclusion no it absolutely would not be the case this is a that's what i mean when i say this is an idyllic movie yeah in that community respect sense and it kind of makes you think that well would you even you know you're you're watching this movie speak me speaking to myself in this situation you're watching this movie would you even be like this why would you not be like this surely that is the right way to be Surely that's the most respectful way to be. So, we, you know, I think that the some of the most, you know, the most impactful movies, the movies that stick with you, movies that make you want to enact positive change upon yourself and your own life. And I think that's what this movie did. Because, it, you know, this movie, or certainly, is what this movie is capable of doing. Yeah. For people in general. Because of its attitude. And I know I'm talking big picture again. And, you know, I I, I know you hate it when I tend to do that. <laughs> but I have to look at it that way. I have to look at it that way. Because that's just the way I'm seeing it. Yeah, no, of course. And I very much do see it that way. So I really, really appreciate it. Lars and the Real Girl, definitely. More yes. so, I think, after this conversation, which is nice. Yes. And, like, just even to the end with the funeral, they have this whole funeral for Bianca and Lars request that everyone wear colors. They don't wear black. Yeah. And everyone shows up and they celebrate Bianca. And there's pictures of her around the community, like in her wheelchair with like people from the town and all the yeah. things she did. And, and then by the end of the funeral, everyone's kind of branching off. And he has this moment with Marco where she's like, oh, maybe we should catch up to everyone. And he's like, do you want to take a walk with me? And then that's kind of where the movie ends, where he is now ready to kind of take that step. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, being patient with him and taking the time to understand him has ultimately paid off. He, he you know, he took that time that he needed to figure out and work through what he needed to work through. And he has, and he's on that path to to really kind of living his life and enjoying his life as he should. So, 
Yeah, definitely a, a huge kind of point to just being patient with people that you maybe don't understand, being patient with people who are going through something like cruelness is not going to get you anywhere. You yeah. feeling like you need to prove them wrong in some way about how they're feeling about things is not going to get you anywhere. Um, so yeah, patience and understanding are kind of like the hugest kind of aspects about this movie that just make it so sweet and special. So Yeah, certainly a sweeter movie, I think than Silver Linings Playbook. <laughs> While Silver Linings Playbook is, I think, a more emotional movie, a heavier movie. It yeah. deals with more serious kind of damaging to a point mental illness. Yeah. But, it, but also kind of emotional way. kind of aspects that I think are relatable. Certainly um, I think that's very much. Why I, I, I certainly think that the mental or the specific mental illness dealt with in Silver Linings playbook through you know a few of the characters through Bradley Cooper through Jennifer Lawrence and through even Robert De Niro in it who is mm -hmm. you know kind of less damaging with his mild levels of OCD yeah um but genuinely very as you said, relatable situations. Yes. And that's kind of what is, what's certainly different about Silver Linings Playbook when you compare it to Lars and the Real Girl and what kind of makes it feel more personal. It makes it feel a little bit more, I used the word naturalistic before, but it certainly makes it feel more that if, if Lars and the real girl, if I feel Lars and the real girl is idyllic, I don't feel like Silver Linings Playbook is in any way really idyllic. I think it's very tough at times. Yeah, I, think I mean, the, the concept as a whole is kind of meant to be idyllic. You know, the term Silver Linings is an idyllic kind of optimistic yes. term. Oh. But I think you have to kind of discover your reasons behind wanting to improve and exactly. wanting to get better. Um, you have to have kind of the right motives behind that. And I think Pat Bradley Cooper's character doesn't really have that at the start and he has to kind of get there. Um, but isn't the saying, you know, every cloud has a silver lining and the concept of silver linings in general, not idyllic it's just seeing the best in a bad situation that's not idyllic idyllic or oh, that's not idyllic to me what idyllic is everything being this utopia completely perfect yeah. well okay then it's more optimistic optimistic certainly okay. i think it is a, i think it You're is right. ultimately an optimistic movie with its far tougher heavier scenes and aspects than lars and the real girl has I think because of the i the the I'm gonna say the again the attitude of Lars and the real girl is very quiet and 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 just kind of wholly positive, good natured, and the attitude of Silver Linings Playbook isn't good natured. No, it's very. No, everybody's rough. shouting at each other all the time. <laughs> yes, because you're dealing with this kind of spectrum of emotions. We kind of start with Pat, who um, is just getting out of a, a facility. 
Um, he's been diagnosed as bipolar. Um, he caught his wife cheating and like nearly beat the man she was cheating with to death. And to be so, fair, the, the, the man was incredibly rude. Exactly. If, like if we have to believe I catch Bradley you Cooper's story. Hooking up with my wife in the shower and you're telling me you better go. Like that it's, would it's, and, it's just, as you're doing yeah. it to our wedding song, like totally it's just a bit of, much, isn't it? Really? It's yes. just that one the, the one step too far is just telling him to get out of his go. own house. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So, you know, you can kind of relate to his anger. Um, but yes. then he also, there are moments where he tries to distance himself and kind of blames, like says, well, my father's the one with the anger issues, not me. But obviously that's part of kind of his bipolar disorder yeah. is, is, is anger. Um, so the fact that he's kind of trying to distance himself from other people's kind of disorders, like he does the same thing with Tiffany, with uh, Jennifer Lawrence's character. You know, when she even tries to kind of relate their mental illnesses together and kind of say they're on the same level of, of crazy, he says, oh, hell no, I'm not crazy like you're crazy. You've told me all these really weird things and I'm working on myself and I'm getting better. So how can you say we're the same? So, I, you know. Yeah, I I, I mean, I, I certainly appreciate Lars and the Real Girl for what it was. I massively appreciated Silver Linings playbook for how it actually dealt with a character like Pat or an illness, like a a bipolar kind of situation. Yeah. Or even just a even even just a stubbornness situation. Yeah. I, I found it I, f I found it funny, but not in a ha ha let's laugh at Bradley Cooper way where he just continually could not stop himself from reminding Jennifer Lawrence that her husband had died. Yes. Every he just can't second. stop himself from saying, oh, yeah, like, your well, dead husband. You're not really, you're not really married because your husband's dead. I'm married. It, you're not. And he just kind of, this comparison situation where he's trying to minimize, like, feels so real, his disorder to everyone else who is kind of going through something. It feels well, I'm not so as crazy real. As you. I'm not the angry one like my dad. You know, I'm not as crazy as Tiffany. I'm working on myself. I I, I have my stuff under control. I don't yeah. need to take my medications. Like he thinks uh, he has it down, down pat. <laughs> yes, he does. And <laughs> and look, I I I know this because I'm incredibly stubborn when it comes to certain situations. I'm also at times incredibly stubborn about my own, you know, mental health problems sometimes. Yeah, and can be. So I see. I saw that to a degree in, in Bradley Cooper. Um, you know, I've never. I've. I don't tend to think I have a compulsion to compare myself to other people in the in in you know a completely unfiltered way. Yeah. But I think what I appreciated about when Bradley Cooper would do that in the movie. Was that it just felt very real. It felt like, yeah, that makes total sense to me why he would just keep doing that and not really realize what he's doing. Yeah. And kind of be a, you know, he's he's sorry about it, but he just can't stop because sometimes you can't stop yourself from doing things you don't necessarily want to do. That's exactly. the point of mental illness. You know, yeah. it, it's doing things a lot of the time that you really damn well do not want to do. Yeah. But you so just something somewhere is just telling you 
that's what you're doing today. Oh. Yeah, the rest of you can be like, I don't want to do that. Though. I want to do this other thing that's going to be far better. It's like, no, you're doing that. Yeah. So that's what you're doing. And to a, to a small degree, that's in those conversations what that is. So I... I I, re I appreciated very much the... I can understand why this movie won the Oscar for its screenplay. I, I thought the, the writing was really, really good. Yeah. And, um, they kind of um, have him have his own kind of fixation on trying to get his marriage back and that, you know, yeah. and, and him having this kind of blind optimism that, you know, if he just does this and he does that, he's he's cured and he can get his wife back. So Which kind of, again is is a form of his kind of stubbornness. Yes, and, and the stubbornness just, he has of just blocking out kind of good advice. Like his yeah. therapist is like really telling him, he's like, "I see when you have these kinds of outbursts coming, you need to work on ways to to understand when those moments are coming and work through them um, instead of kind of letting them break you down." I think um, what annoys annoys you know him. Uh, uh, a lot of the time as well is that he doesn't know how yeah he, he, he kind of keeps getting told by even robert de niro even his dad you know his mom his therapist that you know work through these times and like he has an idea of it in his head of how he should be working through those things and he's doing that and it's working a little bit but it's certainly going to end up in a bad conclusion of him trying to storm into his ex-wife's house which we never yeah. actually you know get that no, far in, in that like, path you but know that's where it's leading yeah i mean he has a whole breakdown one night when he realizes he you know and he the stubbornness plays into his relationship with tiffany he realizes he's attracted to her from the moment he sees her we yeah. get kind of how he's looking at her up and down and like when she says something kind of shocking or flirtatious or sexual to him he pauses for a minute because you know he's like attracted to that and then he yeah. immediately is like i'm married or you know puts up some kind of shield so that he can still keep in his mind that he's like this a perfect loyal husband who's doing everything he can and to kind of distract himself from these attraction feelings he's having towards tiffany he gets very frantic trying to look for his wedding video to kind of get him back in the game get him yeah. back in in the mindset of i gotta get nikki back i gotta get my ex back um because obviously and, and he gets into a big panic to the point where he's shouting and screaming and he accidentally hits his mother and yeah. he gets in a fight with his father and he's freaking out and the whole neighborhood's waking up and the police come and it's a whole situation because he is not really managing things as well as he thinks he is he's being so stubborn in trying to do this one thing and thinks he's doing everything perfect that he he blinds himself to what he really does want, what's really happening around him. He's so kind of fixated. The thing um, is, there's a there's a trust thing there as well with him, which is is kind of understandable given the you know his traumatic event. Yeah. There would be a trust situation there. Um but you know that that really he really struggles with that because he's so fixated on his own way of doing things is the right way. <laughs> takes him ages and ages to actually fully listen to anybody and he and he needs to meet Jennifer Lawrence and start you know developing this relationship with Jennifer Lawrence in order to I think I think what that does is allow him to see 
somebody else who's just as messed up as he is. Yeah. And he kind of need and he kind of needs that to help him because he can't take having people who he sees as fixed tell him how to fix how to himself. Do. Yes. So he needs someone who understands. So you get that from that first conversation they end up having where they're both kind of just vibing about all these different kind of medications they've had yeah. to be on because people have thought they were crazy or whatever they were dealing with and them kind of just really relating in that way. Um, so he needs someone who, yes, who is kind of on his level of understanding his mental states to think of a clever way to kind of have him see more than just Nikki and have him make his silver linings improvements be for a bigger reason than something that he obviously is not going to get back. Yeah, that, He's trying to lose weight and he's trying to get in a better headspace and trying to work on his anger issues and all of these things for Nikki. He's not doing them for himself. Yeah. And so Tiffany kind of shows him that he is worth doing these things for himself. He's not doing them for the right reasons. And so when she is able to kind of distract him and redirect him, yeah, he kind of opens himself up to the bigger picture outside of getting Nikki back. Which is just moving forward with his life because Nikki, Nikki doesn't want to be with him anymore. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. after that situation and subsequent, you know, time in a hospital and other, I mean, did he go to prison and a hospital or something no, like that? He, for... he went to like a mental. It was just a hospital. Yeah. But Nikki doesn't want to be with him after that. Yeah. But he still thinks she does. He thinks but there's he, like, was he, also like an, a restraining order and stuff. In yes, well. exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I I mean. If there's one nitpick I would have about Silver Linings Playbook is that I don't feel like... Well, I feel like Jennifer Lawrence is equally as struggling as Bradley Cooper. Character, you know how I talk about movies. Yeah. <laughs> Each character's their actor. Jennifer Lawrence is equally as struggling as Bradley Cooper in this movie. But the movie... Or, I mean, the movie is centered around Bradley Cooper, so it does make sense. I guess I was, I would have just liked to see a more focused narrative based on Jennifer Lawrence equally, because I okay. think that's what I like about I mean, romance movies, whether it's rom coms, romantic dramas, whatever it is, is that the two leads feel dead equal. In their movie, that's what I really liked about The Lake House. You know, they felt so dead equal in yeah. terms of the story and the progression of it. And getting to know kind of what what drives them and kind yeah. of what was happening in both of their lives. Yeah. Whereas this was like an entire character study on Bradley Cooper and like three quarters of one on Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I never I mean, quite get... fully understood Jennifer Lawrence as a character. And at times, I think it's it's a little bit unfortunate, but I suppose it's how the movie seems to frame her at times, is there to help Bradley Cooper. Yes, by the end, Bradley Cooper helps her as well, 
get through some of the stuff and it obviously ends ridiculously positively and you know they're happily together and you know working to better each other and there's the whole dance competition that's just you know that means the world to jennifer lawrence that obviously bradley cooper helps her her with and is her partner in that and you see the affection there you see the love there you see the genuine kind of want to help each other there but the movie the movie a lot of the time maybe this is just how i'm seeing it seems to be more fo- be far more focused on, on Bradley Cooper as the protagonist. I guess it's because we also get to fully kind of know Bradley Cooper's family, whereas Jennifer Lawrence's family is supporting casts, you know, Julia Stiles and the dude who I forget the name of. Is it like David David somebody? I don't know what his name is. Oh, Julia Ronnie. Stiles' husband. Julia yeah. Stiles' husband. Um but we get a full you know, you know, a full understanding of Robert De Niro, or of his mother, of even his brother, who's not in the movie a great deal, but we still get. Yeah, you know, but we still see him kind of working him. through things with his family and making peace yeah. with them for everything. And obviously, like his brother was kind of the perfect one, and and so them kind of relating on, on a, a common ground and kind of him and his brother bonding. He has a great yeah. moment father where his father is just telling him he wants the best for me wants him to get better and all his kind of ocd sit with me for this game watch this game with me is just him wanting to spend more time with him yeah you know i love that scene between that really open scene between him and robert de niro actually you know sometimes you forget that robert de niro is genuinely competent at crying yeah, he's and he's not even full on crying. He's just tearing up and talking about it's literally just me wanting to spend more time with you and get back on track with our relationship. And and you feel like you feel like De Niro always has to be a hard man, yeah, or a weirdo or something <laughs> like that, or kind of a little bit unhinged. But no, he can just be a you know a, a dad sometimes yeah. in a movie. Yeah, even, and even mean... when it's not a stupid comedic dad. He can just yes, be a genuine, dramatic father. Like a dirty grandpa or whatever that No, he doesn't have to do that. Was. Um, but yeah, we get more like kind of looks in his kind of life. Uh, the most we kind of get with Tiffany and her character is her husband died. She's obviously really young to be a widow. Yeah. And after that, she kind of just channeled all of that into just sex and sleeping with a bunch of people yeah to, to kind of cope with things i mean and... maybe admittedly it's also a little bit of real world context of isn't david o russell supposed to be a little bit you know unpleasant I so mean, you've I... heard <laughs> i haven't heard that much have you not like that no i've heard him being very shouty and unpleasant and weedon-esque <laughs> a little bit possibly don't know to don't know to what i don't want to say anything like overly outrageous but about that yeah I, I i i believe i believe i have heard that but then again you know he seems to work with the same people and if they had some issues they wouldn't work with them multiple times but but then again what was the last thing he did <laughs> Because he seemed to be all over the place in the early 2010s. And where is he now? Enjoy the last thing he did. That's a long time ago now. 
Yeah. And also he loves Jennifer Lawrence and he loves playing Jennifer Lawrence's widows, despite the mm. fact she's in her early twenties. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely got some yeah, sort and of I think she was like, with Jennifer yeah. Lawrence. She was like twenty one. She was like twenty one when this movie came out. And I love Jennifer was like Lawrence in his 30s. as well. I but, think um, Jennifer Lawrence is wonderful and I am a little bit upset that we don't see as much Jennifer Lawrence these days as we did five, ten years ago. Well, I mean, did you watch Don't Look Up? I didn't watch Don't Look Up yet, but I mean, you know, that's the... When, when was the what was the last thing she did? Don't Look Up. That. No, that's, no out. that's what I mean. Before <laughs> that, before that. It's I been a while. It's been, it probably was something like Mother, which was a good four years ago. Well, it's been a got, while. She, I think she got married and had a baby and did all well, that's those what I mean. I think she, things. you know, she she took a break, but X Men killed her basically, didn't it? Well, she killed X Men because she made that clear that she just was not invested well, exactly, in that. X Men also all. killed her. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I I just I have a great fondness for Jennifer Lawrence and really think she's great. <laughs> so I, I I just wanted to. Throw that out there. Throw that out there. <laughs> but no, she was great in this. Like, she gets a kind of Marissa Tomei, my cousin Vinny level scene when she like busts in. Oh, because, a little bit. Because um, Pat's father, Robert De Niro, is like, I need you to go to this game. I am banned from the stadium because obviously that plays into his mental issues of having anger problems <laughs> in his youth. Yes, anger so, problems and OCD don't mix particularly well, especially yes. when it comes to sports. Yeah, so he ha makes this big, huge bet. He's trying to buy this restaurant. So he's like, I'm betting all the money for the restaurant on the, the Eagles winning this game, and I need you there for the good juju to, to make, make this win happen. I question who Robert De Niro's weird friend Randy is, who takes this bet all the time, but he's apparently a really good friend. He's like, Enough yeah, I'll, kind of ruin you. I'll ruin you financially. I'm happy to do that. But I'm your yeah. best friend. I'll come around every day and watch football. And hang out and be with your family. What? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who are you? Discount Alan Arkin. Right. Um, so yeah, he makes this huge bet and kind of and Pat's like, you know, can I spend half the day with you and half the day with my dad? Go to the game and for him, and then I'll come and, and do our dances because she kind of gets him in this situation because she kind of knows he needs to direct his attention to other things. And yeah. I clearly know he likes me because I've seen him like defend me in situations. I've seen him be supportive of me. I've seen him clearly be attracted to me. So I know there's something here. I just need him to clear his mind so that he can see that. Yeah. So she kind of lies to him and tells him, Hey, you know, I can get, if you want to write Nikki a letter, I will give it to her for you, but you have to do something for me. I want to do in this dance competition and I want you to be my partner and we can do dance practices together because I'm not going to do this for nothing. So under the guise of giving his notes to Nikki, his ex, he agrees to be her dance partner. So they do these dance rehearsals and practices and spend all this time together. And it's actually giving him discipline and it's actually focusing yeah. him and it's actually something really good for him, which he does realize at a certain point. So when his dad asks him to go to this game, he says, well, you know, I made a commitment to Tiffany and um, I'm actually liking this project that we're doing together. It's really actually clearing my head and I think it's really good for me um, and, and it's really helping me. Um, you know, that's, what, that's, that's a lot of the time what 
the best advice can be when you are, I suppose, struggling with any form of, you know, mental health problems. But certainly I would say on a less social anxiety kind of delusion problem like in Lars and the Real Girl, it's more of a, you know, that little voice in your head telling you to do one thing when the rest of you wants to do something completely else that's actually going to be beneficial. But that yeah. one little tiny voice is just telling you to do the damaging thing. And that's kind of what we're dealing with yeah. in Silver Linings playbook. And, you know, I've found and I find a lot of the time that the best kind of advice when dealing with that sort of stuff is really focusing in on one particular thing. Make a project, you know, have something that you are kind of positive that you're working getting, towards. Yeah, that you are working towards, that you are dedicated to, that you are putting a great deal of thought in. Because when you're thinking about that, what are you not thinking about? That little voice there saying, you, you're the worst, I hate you, look at all these terrible things, or whatever it's saying. You're yeah. not thinking about that. Yeah. You're thinking about, that's the... That is, honestly, I don't think I've actually probably ever said this, that's probably the reason It's a Wonderful Podcast is a thing. Because I was struggling throughout university and created this show in the halfway through my final year of university as a project to focus myself when I was struggling. Oh, wow. Okay. So... And look at where we'll look 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 at where it's at now. It's great. Yeah, it's going to be two hundred episodes of "It's a Wonderful Podcast." So I can attest to that that <laughs> that helps to some degree because yeah, working I towards something. I ain't nearly that bad anymore. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. So so she definitely, as somebody who goes through mental illness, she kind of understands what he needs to kind of work through what he's dealing with in in a productive way because doing all this for nikki is not productive it's not no. going to help in the long run so no. she kind of manifests this kind of way for him to work through things while also kind of getting what she wants and letting him see like really kind of open himself up to the feelings he obviously has for her um yeah. so that leads to the the big marissa tomei scene that i was talking about so when he well, you know does shout. It's very he has shout. this great yes he has this great bonding moment with his father so then he feels kind of this loyalty to go to this game for his dad so he tells her yeah i'll go to the game and then i'll come and dance with you um but at the game like he sees his therapist there and like all of his kind of <laughs> indian friends and they all bond and him and his brothers and it's a big deal for him too because he's like so my brother wanted me here with his friends he wasn't embarrassed and dad's like no he wants you to go with this to him with, with this game and, and be with him and, and his friends and um and so they're all having a great time and bonding and it's all great until some jerks are like making fun of the, the indian guys so then his brother steps in the brother's friends like step in to defend the indian guys they're getting their asses handed to them and pat it doesn't want to get involved when you see him messing with his brother that's when he gets involved in the fight it's a whole fight breaks out cops come so then he ends up standing tiffany up as usual, Janine, racists cause all the problems. The problems, <laughs> exactly. So Pat was doing great. He was having a great time with his brother, his therapist, Ronnie. They were having all a great time. Um, 
only for Ronnie's Ronnie's a poor dude as well. I mean, yes, he. I feel sorry for Ronnie. He definitely has his balls in a noose in that marriage. Julia Stiles is insufferable. Um, Julia Stiles is playing Julia Stiles from twenty years ago. Yeah, Julia Stiles is playing full ten things I hate about you, Julia Stiles. You feel well, like I wouldn't. I wouldn't style. say that. I mean, she's not as rebellious. She's kind of more uptight. Cat Stratford was not uptight. She was a little stubborn. Eh. I wouldn't. Okay, I wouldn't say point. snootily uptight. Yeah, it's a fair <laughs> um, point. <laughs> um, so the Eagles lose. His dad loses the big bet, and obviously his superstitious nature is because there was a big fight. He blames it all on Pat, and because Pat was spending all this time with Tiffany and. Um, you know, it, it's his fault that he lost this huge bet, loses all this money to Randy, and it's this whole thing. So then Tiffany busts in, and she's like, how dare you stand me up? Like, we made an agreement. Uh, I let you do this with your dad, and then you just don't even call me and let me know what's going on. And then, of course, Robert De Niro, he's pissed because he lost all this money, so he starts going in on Tiffany about how it's her fault ever since he started spending time with her. The Eagles have been losing, and she's killing all the good mojo, and she lets him have it with like a brilliant kind of retort. It's moment. so good. <laughs> it's, she just absolutely sits him down by throwing out all the stats of the wins that all yes. Philadelphia sports teams have had. Yes. Anytime, yeah, anytime Pat's been with me, this team has won. This team has won. This team has won. And uh, Pat has De a Nero. very. I mean, Pat has a very. Been... I'm sorry. Pat... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I keep, I'm sorry. <laughs> It just must have been so daunting for Jennifer Lawrence at that time in her career at that age to just be having a scene where she's just going in on De Niro. Right? And shouting in his face and being like, no, this, boom, 10 to 2, Phillies win, all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, and De Niro sat there going, okay, I like her. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. I trust you. Yeah. I just, I imagine the aftermath of that scene is just Jennifer Lawrence going, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right? And then, like, at the end of it, she just cracks a beer and she's like, I do my research. Like, such a yeah. badass. So, um, yeah, that kind of leads to the family really, like, being impressed with her and the dad yeah. kind of, and then that leads to this whole big second bet. So Randy, out of the goodness of his heart, Oh, because says, Randy's such a nice guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I feel bad. You know, the family's all upset. Here, let, let's do a parlay. Let's do a different offer. I'll give you all of your money back on top of, um, you know, extra bonuses and this and that. If you, if the Phillies win this big game. And or the Eagles. If, if the Eagles the, beat the Cowboys. Yeah, yes. <laughs> in the game that would take the Eagles to the playoffs, I believe it is. Yes. And Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence have to average at least a oh, score at least a five, five at the dance competition. Yes. Yeah. In order for Randy to pay back all the money plus extra. Yes. And Obviously, if he loses, he loses his whole movie, kind of he loses his whole bookings and all yes. this other stuff. He, so, he's, he's financially absolutely screwed, De Niro, if uh, if this bet doesn't, Pan doesn't out. go the way he wants, he needs. So it now to. he's kind of trusting this juju from Tiffany, and he yeah. is like trusting in his son. So he goes for this bet. He's like, "I love you. I trust you, son." Tiffany's obviously a badass. I'm, I'm all in. 
And like, everyone's like, no, don't do it. Even <laughs> Pat's like, no, like, don't put this on me. And she's like, you have to do this, Pat. Like, come on, like our dancing together. Like, you don't have any faith in us. Like, I feel like we've been doing a great job. We've been working well together. This means a lot. I'm so proud of what we've been able to do. Let's do this. And he's saying he's bailing. He doesn't want to do it. And then she kind of throws this line at him. If I'm reading the signs, you're being a shitty person right now or whatever. And she had just given him a letter that Nikki supposedly returned as a response to his letter. And he steps out on the porch when everyone's kind of trying to tell him to do this. And he's saying no. And when she says that to him, he pulls out Nikki's letter, reads it, and he sees a line in there. If I'm reading the signs, then he knows that Tiffany actually comes to this realization that Tiffany wrote the letter. And then he realizes she's really doing this all for me. Like she's, trying to to redirect me into a positive way she's trying to help me kind of be the person that i need to be right now and he's realizing you know in that moment that he loves her and that he needs to open himself up to that and look what she's been able to do for me yeah um and and he he says all of this is kind of shown to us and said to us without any words we just kind of see a look on his face and him having this kind of quiet realization about what's happening that's what this that's what this movie is all about that's this movie's attitude it loves belief in people and faith in people that's the cause of this movie yeah is the belief in others to make to create that silver lining as it were to create to 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 have an optimistic end of the line to have a positive end of the line you need to believe if the individuals with problems mentally if they want to improve and you know they want to improve because they're trying their own ways whether they're as stubborn as bradley cooper in this movie and he's not massively working or what belief that they're going to get there Faith in them to want to get there and sound advice from people who they're actually going to listen to because they know they've been through equally bad things. Yeah. Or, you know, are having equally bad problems in their own mind. Having that belief that it can all change and end up pretty perfectly, like yeah. this movie ends up with everybody genuinely happy. And even Randy, who's lost all that money, he's still hanging out watching football. Yeah. You know, or who hasn't, I shouldn't say has lost all that money, never got to gain all that money from the original bet. So he hasn't yeah. actually lost anything. Yeah. <laughs> or he's lost a little bit. I don't know. But the point is, the the, the end of Silver Lining's playbook is very much that silver lining in a whole movie of shouting, of arguments, of beating up people, of sports, fans being... Gen being kind of generally aggressive and obsessive. Yes. But 
talking and having true belief and true faith in in in, in everyone is positive in the end it is what this movie wants to tell us or that that's yeah, at least what i lining. see and yeah. like even with the whole dance competition like they go there and you see all these great dancers and you're like oh my gosh we've seen what they've kind of been doing up to this point yeah um chris tucker in this movie also kind of i love that they threw yeah. kind of the dance moves that he throws in there <laughs> like tell him black it up pat black it up he's like what does that mean you know crystal could well not be <laughs> Crystal not being loud and obnoxiously annoying in this movie either, which no, is he's quite actually, unique. He's great. He's great in that in this movie. Um, so yeah, even at the dance competition, you're like really freaking out about the stakes of all this because you see these dancers, these pro dancers, and then you see like we've seen what they've been doing. I yeah. don't know how this is gonna go. And so everyone kind of with bated breath watching them do this whole dance routine, and it's kind of comedic. And so when they get these really low scores, and the other dancers like, oh, really sorry guys, and when they find out the final score is a five and everyone's like kind of giving them sad like oh and they're cheering and going crazy <laughs> because they know they've won the bet it's hilarious because everyone's like why are they so excited about a five it's <laughs> a terrible score they're so probably lost the, on the leaderboard exactly and that plays into the, the silver lining of something it does, you know? it does. it's a really and, good movie really yes, really good movie yes so ultimately um, Pat kind of opening himself up to Tiffany and and her kind of feeling like she, it didn't work because he's kind of been quiet about this realization he's had and her kind of feeling like I saw him talking to Nikki at the end of this you know everything I've done was for nothing you know he 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 maybe I was wrong about it and then him kind of revealing to her no like I've known it from day one yeah that you know and yeah so <laughs> I, I I liked I liked this for an episode of Morgan hasn't seen Janine. An old did this also did this also play well as a, a better double feature or of, a, a, a film yes, to a work really good well back to back watching? A really good double feature, really good double feature. I I mean, I I, I couldn't say watch one of them before the other. I just think they they do work very well together they feel much more together than last week's yeah, um, double feature did as 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 good as those two movies were these two movies you know are completely different obviously they're they're on a completely different emotional kind of level yeah than what we've talked about so far on the on the romance double features on Morgan hasn't seen romance and mental health one thing can help the other in that sentence, Janine. Romance can sometimes help mental health significantly, and we see that in these movies that it yeah, does. Definitely. Love conquers all Yay. and all that business. And why shouldn't it? Of course, it absolutely should. Applause, Janine, for Lars Yay. and the Real Girl and Silver Linings Playbook. Yay. I'm glad you enjoyed them. Actually, semi kind of unsure as to why Silver Linings Playbook was a Morgan hasn't seen because it was obviously a fairly sizable Oscar movie in the early yeah. 2010s that I think I probably would have seen but just never did yeah. just never did 
But there we go, I think, Janine, for this week's episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen What is the idea for next week. We'll be closing out our series on double feature rom-coms or romantic films uh, with something you kind of suggested almost in inadvertently you kind of mentioned to me i kind of miss uh, uh a good black rom-com you know a black I, you, rom-com you said you enjoyed when we did those before yes and I did. there was one that i actually really have a lot of fun with that does have a sequel okay so we will be watching think like a man and think like a man too next week to close out our romantic double feature series think like a man 2 is definitely think like a man t-o-o as well isn't it yes of course it is of course it is (laughs) and it goes to vegas so oh brilliant (laughs) what good sequel for a rom-com doesn't presumably it's an ensemble cast it is a great of ensemble black is. cast, some familiar faces. Familiar faces, yes. No Sonar from... Lathan. No, oh, what's <laughs> the point in having a black rom-com without Sonar Lathan, Janine? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> we even get a little peppering in of Morris Chestnut. Oh. Not a huge part, but he pops in there, of course. <laughs> Does he have a mustache? Is he praying all the time? No, no. He's actually kind of a dick. So. Oh, <laughs> Fair enough. I'm excited for that. It will it will give me a nostalgic sense for the Black Romcom series. Yes. Which I do deeply love. I really do. But yes, there we go. That is what's closing out the romantic double feature series next week. Oh no, Morgan hasn't seen Think Like a Man. Which won't involve me singing Frankie Valley's Walk Like a Man. No. But mine. This is based on a book by steve harvey steve harvey oh god so it does play kind of into the movie like it's like these women see interviews steve harvey is doing about this book and that's where they get the idea to like read it and use it in their actual okay dating wives okay so steve harvey's in the movie kind of promoting the book so it's kind of like okay so it's a layered kind of so, so what it is is a promotional movie, <laughs> essentially. But it's act- it ends up actually being a really fun movie. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Do we get to play a game of Family Feud? No, we do not. As I believe Steve Harvey is still the host of that. I do believe show. he is. Yes. Anyway, anyway, that is what's coming up next. But of course, Morgan hasn't seen is not the only show we have on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed because we have the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast itself, every Friday where we celebrate old movies, show love to them, discover new old movies. And Janine and I did a lovely talk on May West and she done him wrong and I'm no angel last Friday. So go and check that out. It is me and Nolan back on the main show this week. So stay tuned, of course, every Friday for that. And Mondays, Machine Mondays are back. Yay! Mm. Certainly this Monday they were. Anyway, Machine Mondays getting excited for the new Schmodown season and talking the latest Schmodown Awards. Some of your thoughts on that, Janine. This past Monday on Machine Mondays. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered here on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, all the other places, of course. 
on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with A3 instead of the E in the because you need. Three is the magic number. On Instagram at just the Purple Dawn. We have the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel as well that you can go and subscribe to, do your notification bell ding things on for the watch alongs, the live discussions, all the rest of it. Fun videos, all the all all all, all the fun stuff that is on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel and the stuff that will be coming in the future. I've already spoken about the Patreon before, but Janine, what, where is all your lovely stuff? And what is it? <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to get any merch for any of our shows or check out any of my artwork, you can find that at my T Public shop at g9design.tpublic.com. And if you want to buy any of my art in print form, you can find that at my uh, store, Big Cartel. Janine, ugh, blah g9design.bigcartel.com <laughs> It's been a long episode, Janine. Our yes. voices are broken. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I don't really know, actually, what to suggest, Janine. Maybe a De Niro impression? Oh, I mean, No, don't do that. Something genuine, because it was a genuine episode with no silliness this week. Or a maybe a little bit of silliness. What is an episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen Without a Little Bit of Silliness, Janine? Yes, but I can't do De Niro. Uh, do whatever you want. Three, two, one. Bye. Bye.